The reading of the word this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Because, as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, <clears throat> which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administering, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. The grass withers and the flowers fade. The word of our God stands forever. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for... Uh, your word that does stand forever, uh, and this is a word uh, from you today, um, from your, uh, your, your Bible, uh, your truth, uh, so God, I pray that you would give us uh, ears to hear, give us minds to understand, give us the ability to listen um, with humility uh, and uh, a teachable spirit, and we pray all of this in Christ's name, amen. So we've taken a, a, we took a short break over Advent uh, from 1 Corinthians, and so this morning we are jumping back into uh, this great letter uh, of Paul's that he wrote to the church in Corinth. So I want us, just because we've been out of it for a few weeks, I want us to, to, to look back a little bit to reorient ourselves to the place in Paul's letter that we find ourselves this morning. Because Paul has just finished telling us in verses 1 through 11 of chapter 12 what it means to be a spiritual person. 
And that and that affirms and that 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 kind of goes over three things. He gives gives three criteria of what what is a spiritual person. And first, a spiritual person, he says, is one that affirms the lordship of Christ. There are ones that, that are pointing to Jesus. They are not speaking blasphemous words against Jesus, even with their words or even with their lives. Second, they are ones that have received the Holy Spirit. So every Christian receives the Holy Spirit. Every Christian gets, a, gets the Holy Spirit. So that is a mark of what it means to be a spiritual person, obviously. And then third, Paul says it's one that has been given gifts by the Spirit. So we know these as spiritual gifts. And so each one of us, if you are a believer in Jesus, has a spiritual gift. And now, starting in verses 12 and 26 through 26, Paul uses this metaphor of the physical body to explain how the spiritual body, made up of spiritual people, live and work together. So the intention of this metaphor, this body metaphor that Paul is talking about here, is to demonstrate that every member of the body, the church, will not function properly when one or more members are seen as less important or even ignored. Which, which was what the problem was in the church in Corinth uh, and what Paul is addressing here because there are certain men in this congregation, the church in Corinth, where they are elevating themselves uh, because of the gifts that they have. And so they are saying, hey, look at me. We are special. We are more important. You're not as needed as I am. And so Paul is addressing this. And so through the use of this metaphor, Paul is able to paint this, this clear picture of the importance of unity and usefulness within the body of Christ. No matter who you are or what gift you possess. And it's also his way of, of sort of crushing the elitism that had infiltrated the Corinthian church uh, because of these, these certain members who were thinking they were on a higher plane. And Paul is saying, that's not biblical. That's not loving. That's not how the church is to function. And so Paul levels it out for everyone in these verses. And he does this in three ways. By showing us, one, the arrangement of the body— Two, the function of the body. How does it operate? How does it work? And then three, the interdependence of the body. So the arrangement of the body, the function of the body, and then the interdependence of the body. So first you have this, the, the arrangement of the body. And, and Paul shows us this, his readers this in verses 12 through 20 of how the body is actually arranged to show that it's, it's, it's God, not you, not me, who chooses this? He's the one who orchestrates it. He's the one who, who, figures, who figures it all out for us of how the body is to operate properly. We've already seen the development of this uh, in, in Paul's letter, th this arrangement that he's talking about here uh, in chapter 6, verses 15 through 17. When Paul communicates that the arrangement uh, of the body of Christ is not independence, but oneness with the Lord, first and foremost. We are one with the Lord. We are, we, we are united with Christ. We also see oneness communicated in chapter 10, verse 17, when Paul is using the sacrament of bread in the Lord's Supper as an example to this oneness we have with one another. 
when he says, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread, which is, as you know, if you've been here a while, is the body of Christ broken for you. So we are united, not around gifts, not around people or certain leaders, we are united around Jesus. So in other words, we are not to be united around certain leaders, as Paul brought up at the beginning of his, of his letter. We're not to be united around our preferences. We're not to be united around our, our political parties. And we're not even to be united around certain spiritual gifts that you may have or someone else may have. The Christian community, known as the church, is called, is not only different, but it's called to be different than the world. It's not simply, as John Calvin noted, another group of friends with things in common or a socio-political meeting of the minds. That is not what the church is. The church is a true body made up of a diversity of people with diverse gifts unified in the same spirit under the same Christ. So verse 13 makes clear that the basis of this particular unity of the body lies in the one spirit, the community-forming nature of the Holy Spirit. There is no way we could be uh, unified if we're all following different kind of spirits of this age. We can't be unified. We are only unified under the one spirit who is the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity. That's who unifies us. Now, Paul has, has already spoken at length about this um, concerning the Spirit in verses 1 through 11, uh, which is vital to the argument around unity. If you, if you go back to the book of Acts, the Acts of the, the Apostles, the early church uh, beginning, when, when the Spirit uh, descends upon the church, one of the main acts of the Spirit during that particular time was the unification of Jews and Gentiles. And that, that was a radical act that was taking place before they were separate. Jews looked down upon Gentiles. And even so, even in the church, they still had to fight against sort of this kind of racist mentality against these uh, non-Jews that, that now God was enfolding into the body of Christ. It's one of the first acts of the Spirit is, is unity. In 12.1, the question in hand uh, concerns, in chapter 12, verse, verse 1 of, of 1 Corinthians, the question in hand concerns spiritual people. And so this means discerning the work of the Holy Spirit among these people. Even if they're different. How is the Spirit at work? This same Spirit that I possess because I have the same Christ, how is the Spirit at work in this person who is a bit different than I? Because Paul wants, his, wants church members to, to see themselves as, as sort of uh, integrally connected, tied up with uh, one another, like the various members of the physical human body, which is what Paul gets at in verses 14 through 20 in our text. Giving more credence to, to his body metaphor so that his, his readers have a clear understanding that diversity within the body isn't a hindrance, but necessary. For the health of the body. Look at verses 14 through 20. 
Again, Paul says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I... I because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would make it not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the, the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would, be, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So verse 14 is an obvious observation when we're thinking about our own physical bodies. And those of you who are uh, medical by profession, you'll, you'll know a bit more about the human body than, than most of us in the room. And you'll know just the intricacies of how God has designed the human body to function. And you can nod with me and say that every part of the human body whether we can see it or not, is dependent upon other parts of the body to work correctly. And the way that you and I, the, the, the lay men and women uh, who are not medical, uh, figure this out is the hard way. So just think about the times that you have hurt yourself. You've pulled a muscle. I have like 20 pulled muscles right now. So you pull a muscle or you've broken a bone or you've, or you've gotten sick. And you know uh, that that's, that's usually the first time that you go, wow, one, I didn't even know I had that muscle. Or two, I didn't know how dependent I was upon that muscle or that body part that is now not working. And the same is true for the local church. There are many members of this body. And every last one of them is needed in this body. Verses 15 and 16, Paul is, is squashing any sort of, of thinking that says otherwise, which he does through this imaginative conversation uh, with different body parts who may see themselves as unneeded or dispensable or less important. When he says, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. So if the foot's going, well, I'm not a hand, so therefore I'm useless. That does not make it useless. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. So Paul is saying, this line of thinking that some in the Corinthian church were, were sort of grasping onto because these elitists with the, the, more, uh, the more visible gifts we're holding them up and saying, you're not needed, you're, you're not wanted, you are dispensable. And so he had other people going around in the church saying, well, I guess this is true. I guess because I'm a foot and I'm not a hand, then I am useless. I am dispensable. I am unneeded. And so Paul is saying that this line of thinking is not only ridiculous, but it's unhealthy. It's unbiblical. For at least two reasons. One, each member cannot exist when separated from the body. And then two, the body loses its full functionality when members of the body are unused or cut off from the body. So this is important to grasp because if we're being honest... 
with ourselves, for being honest, we're all deathly afraid of being dispensable. Especially as you get older and, and you, 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 you can't do the things you used to do and you don't get invited to, to all the things you used to get invited to. And you begin to think, uh, I'm just being used and now I'm just being tossed aside. I came across um, a restaurant in Tokyo, uh, and this was on Instagram, um, and it was called the, the, the Restaurant of Mistaken Orders. Uh, where 37% of the orders taken were wrong orders. And, and the reason why they're wrong orders is, is that most of the, the elderly waitstaff uh, that worked at the restaurant of mistaken orders suffered from some form of memory loss. And, and this idea to start a restaurant like this uh, was, was the brainchild of, uh, of a man named Shiro Aguni, who visited a, a, a home for people with dementia. And when he, was, when he went to this home to visit these people, he was moved with compassion. And he was sort of heartbroken because they were so isolated from the rest of the world. So he started this little pop-up restaurant to give them worth and value again. To show them and the rest of the world that they were not dispensable that they were, they were not useless, that even, even those who, who couldn't remember anything still had something to contribute to the world. And if you're part of the body of Christ, you're not dispensable either. You are indispensable. You are needed. You are valued. You have something to contribute no matter who you are. So that means that the local church is not a place that you come to take. That is not the primary, that, that should not be your primary motivation is to say, I want to go sit in this church. I've heard good things about it. I heard it has good community and good teaching. And I want to just go sit and I want to just kind of consume from this particular church and take from them. That is not your primary role in a local church. And if that is what you are here for, I'm telling you right now, Christ the King is not the place for you. you, you I, I'm just saying, you won't, you won't last very long. You won't like it. Because we believe that a local church is a place that, you, that God wants to use you in the life of this body. Because he's given you gifts to use. And this is not just uh, designated for or reserved for elders and deacons that we acknowledged last week up here. This is everyone. So I don't know if you need to hear this this morning, brother or sister, but I'm going to say it anyways. You are indispensable to this local body of believers. I need you, and the people you've covenanted, covenanted with in this community need you. And I mean that. I'm not just saying that to make you feel better about yourself. The Lord has given you gifts to use. He has placed you in this body for a purpose and for a reason. Sure, you don't stand up here behind a mic every single week. People may not know what you do, but you are still indispensable. 
And because of the gifts being used every single week in this congregation, whether you know you have those gifts and you're using them with just full knowledge of like, I know I'm gifted administratively, I know I'm gifted um, with teaching, I know I'm gifted you know, with, with whatever gift is out there, there's, I would not be standing before you today if those people were not using their gifts on a weekly basis. It's all working together the way God has designed it. Because all of us have varying types of gifts as believers. If we were a bunch of eyes or we were a bunch of ears, the body could not function properly. That's what Paul's saying in verse 17. It would be a grotesque, useless blob just kind of sitting over here creepily blinking at us. Every part is needed that God provides. If there's any doubt in your mind about this, if you're still saying, well, I don't know, I don't feel like I'm that important, um, I don't feel like I'm that, that useful, so if you need some further confirmation, listen to verse 18. But as it is, God, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. Let me just read that again, just in case you wanted to insert my name in there for some reason, or one of the elders, the other elders' names. You think, well, Kevin has arranged the members in this body and each one of them as he chose. That is, that is not the case. God has arranged each member in this body, each one of them as he chose. So this means God is sovereignly over the arrangement of the members of the church. He arranges each one of you as he chooses for, for the good of the entire body. Not just yourself, but for everyone around you. So this means that God has a specific role for you to play in this body to see other members of this body grow and flourish in their relationship with Jesus. That is the goal. As Paul talks about in Ephesians, building up the body, that we are pushing each other closer and closer and closer to Christ every single day, every single week as a church. So that's the arrangement of the body. And this brings us to our second point, because if the body is arranged in a certain way, then we need to understand how the body functions within this arrangement. So, so Paul begins this new paragraph kind of subtly addressing the believers who have assumed this elitist mentality based on the gifts they have. Look at verse 21. Paul says, The eye cannot say to the hand. I mean, Paul is kind of giving them a command here. Look, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So this was actually happening within the church uh, of Corinth, that others who had this had more visible gifts, uh, more uh, important gifts, quote-unquote, were looking at those with less important gifts and saying, uh, you can kind of go over there and do your own thing, but I don't need you. I, I, I get, I'm, I'm, I'm taken care of. And Paul is saying, no, that is not how the body works. That is not how the body functions. Why? Because as he's established, all the parts of the body are not only needed, but they're also valuable. We can't say any gift that is within this body is unnecessary since it's God who has given the gifts 
and God who has arranged them to function in this place. That is not our place as a church to say who's more important and who's not. That is not our place. That is not my place as the pastor of this church to say I'm more important than you because I'm, I'm elevated up here. So I am, look at all you guys way down. I'm looking down at you and I am more important than you and whatever other gift you have is less important. That's not biblical. I am no more important than the person who is walking around making sure this place is safe and serves on the security team. We all have a place to, to function and to play within this body. So I believe, even when we're talking about the gifts here, uh, the spiritual gifts or, or grace gifts, whatever you like to call them, uh, I believe our place as a church, we, we, when we're dealing with the, the spiritual gifts, is to affirm the gifts in others. So we should, be, we should be helping our brothers and sisters sort of discover what their gifts are. So I know there's lots of things out there like spiritual gift tests. I'm not a big fan of spiritual gift tests. I think more often than not, we learn our gifts by serving within the body and by being around other members of the body. And so those people are able to look at you and say, hey, I think you have the gift of administration. I think you have the gift of teaching. Uh, you should try to, to teach at some point in time, or you should try to use your gifts over here and to see, see what that's like. That is, that is our responsibility as the church, that we are affirming gifts in other people. We are encouraging them. We are sharpening them in this way. So if I, if I see someone who's gifted, just because I kind of have an eye for it, um, is to say like, hey, I think you might be gifted in preaching. Have you ever thought about that? Let's, let's read some books together. Let's, let's get some, some training under you. Let's get you some, some reps in the pulpit if you're brave enough to encourage us. That, that is our role as the congregation, is to, is, to, is to look into our congregation and say, I see God at work in you in this way. Let's see how he's going to use you here. Because you have a part to play. You are valuable. You are indispensable. So in verses 23 through 20, through the first part of 24, Paul makes this clear by, by actually spotlighting those members of the body uh, we do think less honorably about. He says, on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, actually. In our, uh, in our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which are more, which are more presentable parts do not require. So Paul says instead of ignoring these parts of the body or saying they're not needed we, because we deem them less important, we actually should bestow greater honor and greater modesty toward them. That's what Paul's saying. That's what we do with our own body, right? And this was, the reason Paul was saying this is because this was countercultural in a city like Corinth. In a city like Corinth, gift, gifts of leadership, gifts of speaking, like if you had good rhetoric and you could, you could really shape and form an argument and change people's minds, those are the things that were held in high regard, in high honor. If you had those, if you had those gifts, then you were important. And this is sort of leaked into the church. But it's also true for us today in our own culture. Just think about the people that you hold in high honor right now, in your mind. Those people you hold in high honor. Or those people you post about on Instagram. 
And I'm not saying it's wrong to do that. I'm just saying, think about those people that you like to, to celebrate. I don't know how many times I've seen uh, Taylor Swift celebrated in some of y'all's Instagram stories um, or, or anything else. I mean, you can say the same thing about me. I mean, I, I celebrate my uh, you know, Premier League soccer team. Every, every time I'll do it today if they win and annoy you with my stories about them. But think about those people that you honor. Think about those people that you honor and celebrate and you post about. What do they all have in common? They're talented. <laughs> they're famous. They're a good athlete or, they, or it's a good team or they're a good musician or they're a good performer. Uh, maybe it's even their physical appearance. They're beautiful or, or they're, they're super jacked and so that's impressive to you for some reason. And so we admire that in people. I've never seen a post, though. I've never seen a post about someone who rides the bench. I've never seen a post about an extra in a film. You're like, man, they walked across the camera so good. I've never seen a post about that. I've never seen a post about backup singers. I mean, really, let's just be honest, we probably don't even know their names or even care. And that's fine. That's our world. That's our culture. That's, what, that's, that's out there. But, but this, this sort of idea and mentality, which is what I'm most concerned about, has crept into Christianity. And it's crept into the church. There, there, honestly, I think there, sh- there, should, there should be no such thing as the phrase celebrity Christianity. I mean, it's an oxymoron, honestly. Or, or the term celebrity pastors. That should not exist in Christianity. But it does. Because we still are guilty of putting people up on pedestals. We're still guilty of saying their gifts are better than so-and-so's gifts. And we exalt them. Because Paul says, within the kingdom of God, within the church of Jesus Christ, it's, it's different, and that should be clearly displayed within the local church. Because God has so arranged the body that the members that don't fit elsewhere in the world, so those that we like to dispose of, like the weak or the old or the unpresentable or those who uh, may not be as attractive as the next person, those, those, are the, those are the ones that the world tosses away. All of these people have a primary place, a primary place in the church. Because while these parts may seem weaker, they're actually indispensable. They cannot be done away with. We cannot do without them. Your gift cannot function without your brother or sister's gift in a healthy way. Because the word weakness here in verse 22 that Paul uses is not about physical weakness in the Greek, but but about flaunting of and claims of status and personality. So when these uh, elite uh, Christians in, Cor- in the church in Corinth were sort of talking about weaker gifts, they were saying, yours is not, uh, is not as flashy as mine. Your gift isn't as flashy as mine, and so therefore it is not as important as mine. And God's not going to use you as much as he is my gift. 
So in the first part of verse 24, Paul is ending the sentence that he began in verse 22 when he's talking about weakness, uh, when he says, which are more presentable parts do not require. You see that there in the text? Which are more presentable parts do not require. So what Paul is doing here is Paul is hypothetically saying, even if a more visible part didn't need the less visible part, even if that were true, and it's not, but even if it were true, it's still a vital part of the body. Why? Because God says it is. Period. That's why it's vital. The second part of verse 24 but God has so composed the body. Because God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked honor. And why is this so important to grasp? Why do we need to get to this point in our mind and in our heart? Well, it's because of verse 25. That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. So this is going back to the same thread that has been uh, running through First Corinthians, the letter of 1 Corinthians by Paul, going back to the main idea of the overall letter, which is, if you remember, being a unified body in a fractured world. And so this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, look, at the end of the day, to use that expression, this is what truly matters, is being a unified body in a, a fractured world. This is, this is what is going to proclaim the gospel most to a watching world. Not our gifts, necessarily. Not who we are, not what leaders we follow. But a unified body around the gospel. Now, there are many things that threaten the unity of a local church. And very often, uh, the things that tend to fracture the body are very subtle. And I would say, nine times out of ten, uh, tend to be very good things that fracture a church. So maybe maybe it's over. Maybe we do struggle with with leaders. Maybe and it's you know I'm I'm the the main kind of leader here, the paid the paid elder here. So maybe it's not necessarily with with the other elders amongst us or anything like that. But some of you are big John MacArthur fans. I was expecting applause, but I guess I guess we don't have as many as I thought. Um, I'm just kidding. Some of you are John Mark Comer fans, and there can be a split because of that. Two wonderful Christian human beings, two wonderful preachers who are doing really good things around the world. But hey, because I don't, because I like this guy, I'm not going to like these these people over here, or vice versa. And that can cause division. Or maybe it's over over. Um, I've heard I heard this debate is kind of going on again between young Earth creation and versus old Earth creation. Um, it came up in a, a text thread I was involved in, and maybe maybe you stand on one side of the other. Uh, and, and and both of those are good. Those are good things to look into, and to be aware of. But those things can cause division. 
Maybe you have differing views on baptism or the Lord's Supper, or maybe you have one of these kind of you know, niche theological stances on something that you think no one else has ever heard of or church history has never investigated or has, has never uh, you know, talked about or thought about. And so you think everybody else should be on board with your little theological stance. That can cause division. Or maybe it's over the gifts, just to bring it back to Corinthians. Because that's what was troubling them. I mean, they had the leadership problem and some theological issues as well that Paul had to correct. But even now in the text today, it's, it's over spiritual gifts, which we would all say those are good things. We need the gifts. We need God to, to, to give them to us so that the church can function in a, in a healthy way. So, so maybe you're a, a cessationist. Maybe you think that, that some of the gifts have ceased. They've stopped altogether. And you will argue that point until the day that you die. Or maybe you're a continuationist, which means you think we should be speaking in tongues and healing people every single Sunday. And both of those have good arguments on both sides from the Bible. And they're good things to think about and talk about. But they can divide as well. So all of these could divide us. Every last one of them. And yet Paul says and tells us, based upon the gifts that we have, there should be no division in the body over things like this. Ever. God didn't give us these gifts and arrange us in this way to divide us. That is not part of the plan. It's to say, I gave so-and-so these gifts and so-and-so these gifts, and now I want them to fight. That is not what he designed the body to do. What he, the reason he arranged us in this way and gave us the gifts that he gave us was so that we would draw closer to Jesus together. So that we would, be, we would be built up as the body of Christ, that we would reach full maturity in Christ. All Paul's languages, language. And the test, the test to see if this is happening in your own life, the test to see if this is happening in the life of this church is found in verse 26. When Paul says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So at any given moment of the life of a, of a church this size, there is always someone who is, who is suffering or has just come out of suffering or someone who is about to enter into suffering. And so I know of a handful of people now who are in suffering right now as we sit here. And you might go into it today. So how is your suffering with and for others going? What does that look like for you? How are you experiencing that alongside them? How are you, how are you shouldering their burden? Some ways this could happen. If you're struggling with, with ways to, in which to, to see it happen, is how do I, how do, I do that? How do I suffer, suffer well with other people? Well, it's, if somebody has a financial need, a financial need arises, and you're aware of it, uh, you feel it by giving. I remember Tim Keller saying that if you, if you cannot feel your giving, if you cannot feel it in some way, 
you're not giving enough. That's a way to suffer. When someone is in physical distress or suffering from a sickness, or um, and, and you feel it by serving that brother or sister. You feel it by giving your time to them. You feel it by uh, your, in your resources, by cooking meals for them and driving to their house. Um, you feel it in, in just um, sitting with them. You, you feel it with shedding your own tears with them. That's how you feel it. When someone who is walking through a dark time spiritually, they're depressed, and darkness is, is their closest friend, as the psalmist says, the way we do that is we come alongside them. I think sometimes we don't like to be around those people who are walking through darkness. We say, oh, well, they're a Debbie Downer. Uh, I don't want to be around them, and they're just, they're just bringing the vibe down, and um, they're not super fun right now, and so we're just going to let them sit in their dark corner over here until they kind of pull out of it. No. Our job is to enter into the darkness with them, with the light, to come alongside them, to walk alongside them for as long as it takes. And let me just say, don't be, don't be like Job's friend, friends in the Old Testament. Sometimes you don't need to offer an answer. Sometimes it's just your presence. Sometimes it's just the light that you hold because it's the only light that they have right now. How is your rejoicing? How is your celebrating with others? And I think, I think sometimes this can be the harder one, especially in the, within the, the kind of consumeristic culture in which we live. And we, we have pretty much everything at our fingertips, no matter the amount of money that you make. You can just get a credit card and you can buy what you want, you know. Um, you'll pay for it in the end, but it's, you, you still, you, you have access and so sometimes I think that kind of mentality gets into our brain, and so we have a hard time celebrating with people because we're envious. We want the things that, that other people have or have been blessed with, and so it, it's a harder thing to do is to celebrate with those who celebrate. And that's just not, that's not just financial. That's not just material goods, but that's also just in, in other avenues. You're having a hard time celebrating and rejoicing with those who rejoice. But if we're all members of the same body, if we're all unified around the gospel, this one bread, we will experience both of these together, rejoicing and mourning. It, it will be natural, just like it is in, in, our natural, in our natural bodies and how they operate. It will be a natural response that when we hear about a brother or sister who's suffering, we will automatically enter into suffering with them or rejoicing with them. And this brings us to our final point, that the body of Christ, because it is, is, is functioning in this way together and functioning in a healthy way, um, it brings us to this third point about the, the interdependency of the body. And so Paul makes this really clear clear in verses 27 through 31. He says, Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? 
Are all teachers? Do, do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a, more, a still more excellent way. So what, what better way to bring unity to the church than through the reality of your interdependence upon each other? Because in our current cultural climate, independence is the attitude that is pushed. You do you, 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 you work for yourself, you are, the one who, you are the one pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, you provide for yourself, you do what's right for yourself. Because most of us, we, 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 don't, want to, we don't want to need others. We don't want to be dependent. Autonomy is, is, is the safest and easiest route, and really, dependence equals weakness. And I'm not weak. I'm not dispensable. So to be independent is to do what you want, when you want, how you want. You have no one to answer to but yourself or no one to be concerned with except yourself. And even within the church, I meet a lot of people who want biblical community. And they hear that we have that happening here in some way, shape, or form. Until it comes time to actually be a biblical community until it comes time to actually suffer with a brother or sister when they're suffering until it begins to impact uh, your life and your resources and it starts to encroach upon your time well here's something paul is driving home for the church in corinth and and for us and that is the upside down nature of the church as the body of Christ. A, a community of complementary interdependence is what we are. Where we are, we are fully dependent upon one another in complementing each other with our various gifts. That is how the church is to operate. And the reason that we can live this way, the only reason that we can live in, in an interdependent way, a complementary interdependent way, is because of what Christ has done for us already. Putting us in perfect communion with God. So I say all that, and then, then you read verse 28. And Paul says, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, Second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. So you, get to, you say all this like we are, we're equal, we're on a level playing field here, um, all the gifts work together. And then you get to verse 28 and Paul is saying, first there's apostles, one. Second, there are, you know, there's, there's prophets and teachers. And, third, and then on down the list, and then he, he, he seems to be ordering them uh, in, in an order of importance. Importance to less importance. And you go, what's going on here? Well, Scripture always interprets Scripture, so we know because of what Paul has already said that that is not what is happening here. So we have to ask the question, well, what is he doing? If he's not contradicting himself, um, then what is he doing? So instead of, instead of instead of what we're seeing here is Paul putting the gifts into perspective, especially for those who have used the gifts as an actual ranking system within the church. If you notice, Paul typically puts the gift of tongues last on the list. 
because most people think, well, if he's ranking, then tongues should be first. I mean, this is an incredible gift. This is the one that I have, and so this should be the most important gift. And so Paul purposefully does that and puts it at the end every single time to say, look, this is not what it's about. So what Paul is actually doing here is giving the gifts a, a chronological priority. So gifts given to the church as they're needed. So, uh, so this means that there might not, every gift that is listed in the New Testament, th- those gifts may not all be present within a local congregation because God may not see it fit to have all of those gifts in there. We may not need them as much. And so there's some gifts that, that will be missing at times because we don't need them. And so Paul is giving this kind of chronological uh, priority of the gifts. So he talks about the apostles' person. Apostles uh, simply refers to those with whom the church was established. So in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says this to the church, But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you, are, you, are, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so he's given us the prophets to, to, to begin to build the church. And then you have, uh, I'm sorry, the, the, the apostles, and then you have the prophets and teachers who are established in the church to teach God's word faithfully. And maybe some of you are even called to that in this room. And then you have miracles and gifts of healing that Paul talks about. And these are necessary in the moments they're needed and not necessarily a gift that someone has all the time. And we'll delve into that a little bit later in chapter 14. And then you have gifts of helping and administration, which I think a ton of folks here have those particular Gifts just in the way that you've stepped up in the various areas of this church. A lot of those are administrative and helping gifts that are being deployed in this local congregation that are needed. Particularly in a church that you have to to build and break down every single Sunday. Those are gifts that are needed. And this list of gifts gifts leads us to to Paul's sort of rhetorical questions that he's giving to the Corinthian church that he asked in verses 29 through 30, which is just getting us back to the main point. Paul isn't that interested at this point to explain what every gift does and what every gift is. That is not Paul's main point here. Paul's main point here is unity. 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 And so he asks these rhetorical questions here. He says, are all apostles... After he's already talked about some of the gifts, are all of, the, all of these people apostles? Are all of them prophets? Are all of them teachers? Do all of them work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Which the simple answer there is no, but within the Greek, it's more of an answer like this. Surely not. It cannot be, can it? It cannot be that we have uh, just a bunch of people who have the gift of, of prophecy or, or just a bunch of teachers, and that's all we have here. It cannot be like that. God did not, did not design the church that way. He didn't, he didn't uh, organize the church in that way. And this is Paul continuing to make the point that all the gifts are needed that God gives. And not one of them is more important than the other. Not one of them can we say that is less important. I don't need you. 
But he says all this to make an even greater point that sets us up nicely for verse 13 or chapter 13 next week, which is that love is the most important gift of all. And love is the gift we should all desire and practice. And then Paul closes with verse 31, which can be read in a few different ways, um, which happens when we're translating other languages into English, and my linguists in the, the crowd know this, that sometimes one word in a certain language can be a, a full-on phrase, uh, it, it, or I'm sorry, a full-on phrase in one language could just be one word in the English language. And so sometimes you have to kind of drop back and look at what the original language languages talked about. And it, this is what is happening here with verse 31, is it can be translated actually a few different ways. And I think a better way to read this text is not necessarily how it reads in the ESV translation, which is the translation I use all the time and the translation that I love. But this kind of makes it sound as if Paul is contradicting himself again after he's just corrected the Corinthians for having an elitist mentality. So he goes on to say, like, all, all, of, the, all of the gifts are equal. Not one is more important than the other. Um, but, you know, desire the greater gifts. I don't think that was what's, what Paul is getting at. And many New Testament scholars argue that verse 31 should be read as the closing statement of this section and should read in a more ironic way, and that's based on some certain rules of rhetoric and based on the rhetoric, rhetorical questions that Paul has just asked. So it could read in this way, and I think this is a better translation, as a question. You are seeking the higher gifts, are you? Well, I will show you a still more excellent way. So fundamentally saying, you think you've reached some sort of higher plane with the gifts you have. But I will show you that you haven't gotten anywhere close to this because I'm about to show you a more excellent way, a way that is above every other gift that God has given to you. And that more excellent way is love. Because we can only love in the way that Paul is talking about here, we can only love in this way because Christ loved us first and Christ gave himself up for us first. So we're able to do the same towards others. Because of, because of, what, of the person and work of Jesus, we are able to do the same toward each other. We are able to live in this complementary interdependence, putting on display the way Jesus has loved us. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you have displayed to us through your word how we are to be a unified body in a fractured world. So God, I do pray that you would forgive us for seeing ourselves or seeing others as more important um, than other people in this congregation. Forgive us for either thinking that we are disposable or thinking that we are less important or thinking someone else is more important than us. 
because of the gifts they have. Forgive us of that. Help us to live in light of the truth that we have seen here in um, 1 Corinthians 12, that you, God, have sovereignly uh, arranged this body. You have arranged those in this body with their various gifts that you've given to them so that we would not look at ourselves as special or, or more important, but that we would look at, to see how we can serve the body with those gifts that you have given to us. So I pray that we would be a church that does that well. I pray that we would be a church that, that, that feels the burdens, that feels and um, carries the sufferings of, of their brothers and sisters, that we rejoice when those, uh, those brothers and sisters rejoice as well. And that in all of this, that we would be unified as a body around Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.